Welcome to the Pre-Budget Report podcast from the Financial Times. I'm Rob Minto and with me today are Chris Giles, Economics Editor, Nick Timmins, our Public Policy Editor, and Patrick Jenkins, Banking Editor. Welcome to you all. The Chancellor, Alistair Darling, has delivered the pre-budget report in which he talked about, amongst other things, being fiscally neutral. So let's start with the economics. Uh, Chris, there's been talk that Alistair Darling had not much room for manoeuvre. He was caught between the markets, getting hammered by the markets and stifling the recovery. Has he hit the right balance? What do you think? Well, he certainly hit the balance he wanted to strike, which is essentially doing very little. So the public finance figures are pretty much identical to the budget. He still thinks he's going to halve the deficit in four years. That's now going to be a statutory target. And he thinks that is just the right balance between getting the budget deficit under control and also not endangering the recovery. Lots of people think he should go faster, and the markets think he should go faster, and so does the Governor of the Bank of England, for example. But I think one we're going to hear from Nick quite soon about just how tight the public spending is. So it is really still going to be pretty tight squeeze, even though there are people out there wanting him to go further. And what did you make of his forecast figures that he was giving? Well, most of them are pretty uninspiring, really. The growth forecasts were pretty much as expected. We are relying on fast growth for a very large number of years after 2011. And also on the public borrowing, the tax forecast looked reasonable. The spending forecast, well, we don't really know exactly what's going on there because they've really not given us the full figures, which is extremely irritating. Uh, and it's something that they'll, I'm sure in the days to come, they'll have to, it'll be dragged out of them, but then we'll know exactly the balance between departmental spending and other spending, particularly debt interest and unemployment benefits and things like that. So that help would help us to know exactly what's going on, going to happen to government departments. But I think, we, you know, Ultimately, where we are is they, these are reasonably credible, but the credibility is certainly going to come under fire from certain quarters who think that the budget deficit should be reduced more quickly. Well, let's just move on to Nick. There, there, was, there was talk beforehand of protecting the spending on education, health and policing. Mm. Um, so and everyone accepts there's going to have to be cuts somewhere. So what clues did he give us about well, other areas? there will be some limited protection from each of those. They said that, that uh, NHS spending uh, in the two years after 2011 will rise in line with inflation for kind of 90%, 95% of the money that goes on patient care. They said school spending will rise by 0.7% in real terms and that there will be enough money to maintain the numbers of police and community officers and the protection of the short start children's centres as well. But there's a price to pay for that and the price will be incredibly fierce cuts elsewhere. I mean, year on year, cash on cash reductions in spending out of which departments will have to fund pay rises, inflation, demographic pressures. The birth rate's been rising, the number of elderly are growing. So that will have to be met on diminishing cash. And he hasn't spelled out precisely what that will mean or for or what programmes it will... So we're no wiser about that. And the other part of the deal is that he's not gone, to, I think perhaps to some people's surprise, he's not gone for a public sector pay freeze, but he has said it will be capped at 1% from the two years from 2011, and they're trying to persuade the review bodies to go for a 1% increase this year as well. So it's kind of three years of 1% pay rises coming. There'll be some higher pension contributions in the public sector as well. That was for people earning a certain... Over 100,000, 100, I think. Uh, Does that add up to many people? Well, I mean, sector? GPs, consultants, mm. um, quite a few managers in the NHS, for example. Some head teachers earn more than that. Uh, local authority chief executives, senior officers. So there's a fair number of people knocking around who earn over 100,000 in the, in, in, the, in the public sector. And Patrick, uh, one of the eye-catching uh, statements that Alice Dunning made was about bankers and taxes. Um, what, do you want to explain your take on it so far? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's relatively simple, but politically quite clever, I suppose. Um, there is going to be a 50% tax on the uh, overall amount of bonuses that banks can pay out to their bankers. Um, that will be payable by the banks. That's not a tax on the individuals, but it has to, it probably has the same net effect in the sense that a banker who is, they think, eligible for, a, let's say, a £1 million bonus would find that pot uh, taxed by... Uh, at the bank level, reducing it to £500,000, and therefore uh, that could be all that is payable out to the and, bank. And then when they get their 500000 they, they would be taxed again? They would be taxed on that on a so personal a, basis. Two bites of the, the pie, as it were. Yeah, well. and there are a lot of bankers who are jumping, jumping up and down, furious about this as a result. They you know, argue that they've been working very hard over the past year and have generated large profits uh, in many cases, and therefore deserve the money that uh, they thought was coming to them. But the profits, Alice Darling has re-emphasised that it was profits they could make because of the support that the government has made. Does that wash in the city? I think, uh, depends who you talk to, I think there has undeniably been a great benefit both directly and indirectly from the bank bailouts. So you know, every bank operating here and around the world has had some level of direct or indirect benefit, whether that be from actual, you know, bailout cash into the into the bank or it's the liquidity provision through central banks or it's just been the low interest rate environment. Um, so in, in many ways, this is, the, this is an exceptional year, um, but that doesn't stop individuals being very cross about it. And it applies, you know, the first £25,000 is, is exempt from this, of, of any bonus. But that's, beyond that's that... a third of a sports car, perhaps. Exactly. <laughs> but on that, everything else is, is subject to it. And uh, we're going to see, um, well, the, the Treasury estimates about 20,000 bankers caught by this. The, the, the tension now will be on, you know, among lawyers and tax experts, how, you know, how are banks going to get around this? Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of... Uh, wheeling and dealing to try and find other ways to do it. But Chris, is, do you think this is a clever measure given that it's one year only? So you're not going to see huge numbers of bankers leaving in droves, are we? It's a one year... Yeah, I don't think it's going to tax. have a big effect on the economy of this one year thing. It, essentially, it's a way of getting through the election without bankers going out with Jeroboam's or champagne and buying Porsches up just just at the time when they... We, we can expect probably the easiest, whereas banks will just defer this money for next Christmas rather than this Christmas. So just they, tell bankers to sit tight next year will be better. I think that's probably what will happen to a great degree. They can't, of course, promise though, a deferred bonus uh, because that will get, get caught by the anti-avoidance measures of, of this rule. But um, Nods and winks. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, as, as Chris says, um, it's only 550 million or so that they're expecting to raise from this. So they clearly acknowledge there will be some avoidance uh, inevitably. And obviously they will be hit as well. There'll be the downside of not actually having the, the income tax on the bonus payments that they would otherwise generate. So, so is it more of a political move, do we think? It's yes, I think vastly it's political. entirely yeah. a political move. And yeah. therefore this pre-budget sort of is... As someone put it, the, the starting pistol on on the election. You have to remember that what the opposition was saying was they were they were saying that they would test the government's resolve on bankers' bonuses by the amount of money and people sloshing around the system in January. And the government and I spoke to some people at Number Ten who were terrified by this because they knew that that, that that amount of money was going to be quite high, and so they found a way of making it low. But they don't; they're not really serious. They just want to avoid it happening this January. They don't really care if it happens later on. And this is very—I mean, it's very pre-election. Um, if you look at the public spending, the services have promised that they will give a real terms rise to the NHS, protect it, which is essentially what the 
government on a slightly smaller scale has said today, but it said it will increase spending on schools, it will maintain spending on short start, it will, these are all challenges to the Tories where they will sit there and say, well, are you going to one of that or not? And so we're going to be in this debate about who's going to protect what, while none of the politicians want to talk about what on earth is going to be cut to pay for all this balancing of the books. In previous years, there's been quite a lot of talk of green budgets and so on. And with Copenhagen going on the, the, the summit, I mean, did you, were you surprised at the lack of sort of green initiatives or emphasis, or is that something that's from budgets past? Well, there were a few little gestures, weren't there, like a boiler scrappage scheme and being able to sell your electricity back to the grid if you have a generator without being taxed. But you wouldn't call it a green budget. No, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it. The big measures in the, in the environmental area are going to come uh, over the next 10, 15 years in the big polluting areas, like particularly power generation. That is, it's that, it's nuclear power. Those are the sort of really important things. It's not whether they give company cars which are electric uh, or become exempt from income tax, which was one of the rather small, I think it could have negligible costs, uh, i.e. no cost, and no, no, no point in talking about it any further. And traditionally, chancellors have tried to have a, some sort of a rabbit in the hat for the end. Um, national insurance contributions, was that a, a bit of a surprise? It was certainly a surprise. It wasn't really a rabbit in the hat. It was more like something rather nasty having to come out of the hat. It means from 2011, national insurance for all classes, employee, employer, self-employed, going up by another one percentage point. So it's another half percentage point on top of the half that was already in the pipeline, which is a big, it's essentially a rise in income tax, and in, not just in the basic rate, but in all rates, because uh, it gets paid all the way up the income distribution, and it's a £3 billion gain. And that's one of the ways, I think, in, when the Chancellor was talking about a neutral budget, it wasn't neutral in the way we normally use that phrase because uh, actually there was quite big tax rises in there. And I think these tax rises, we're not exactly sure what they're paying for, but it seems like they might be paying for higher debt interest and a slightly worse underlying fiscal position than we thought. Well, uh, finally, um, if you had to sum the pre-budget up in a word, I'm going to ask you all, so get ready. Uh, Chris, what would that word be? Political. Yeah, I'd agree with that entirely. Patrick? Um, a nightmare for bankers. <laughs> nightmare for bankers. <laughs> nightmare for bankers. Well, perhaps we'll leave it there. Uh, Patrick, Chris, Nick, thank you all very much. And for further coverage of the pre-budget report, including news, analysis and video, you can visit the FT website at www.ft.com slash PBR. And of course, you can read about it in tomorrow's Financial Times. But for now, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.